You are listening to The Ben Keats Show, where every day the objective is simple. Ben will never stop fighting the fight and lighting the light on topics that affect you every day. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Ben Keats Show, uh, a 2024 version with some new goals and guests. And as you can see, today I am joined with a guest to talk about a super serious topic. This is episode 35. And before I introduce her, the title of today's episode is Problem Solved, The Path After Death. So it'll be a, a sensitive topic, an interesting topic, and one way or another, something that we all deal with. Um, I'm going to bring Beth in. Beth uh, has her own podcast and some of the craziest stories you will actually probably ever hear, which we're going to hear. But Beth, tell us, uh, tell us about your podcast and what kind of got you into all of this. Okay. Um, so my podcast is Be Real with B Reams. And I decided to start the podcast because the last three years of my world have been kind of complete chaos um, from career stuff to death to drama to all the things. So it's kind of been a therapeutic thing for me, but also something that I wanted to start just to get other people involved and to let other people know that we're all kind of going through the same thing. Well, good. And I, I know some of your story and some of your story, which your the audience will find out is made national news coverage, local news. Um, so we're going to get to some of that stuff here in the next couple of weeks. Today, we're going to talk about part of the things that made your world chaotic over the last uh, three years. Mm-hmm. Um Let's first start, um, kind of give the idea, audience a little idea of, let's start with Mark. What, tell me about him, your brother, just kind of that that story, just to kind of give everyone a, a clue. Okay. So my brother was two years older than me. And on September 2nd of 2020, he went into the doctor because he had been having trouble swallowing for a long time, but due to COVID, <laughs> good old COVID, locking everything down. Can't even go to the doctor. Um, so he got into the doctor a little late for his symptoms. And what we thought was going to be a simple stretching out of your esophagus turned into an immediate diagnosis of esophageal cancer. Um, tumor threw his esophagus down into his stomach. Bad, bad, bad. Um, he fought... <laughs> Very hard. Um, he was given 18 months to live, went through chemo, radiation, all the things, and ended up actually on March 4th of 21 being told he was cancer-free. After a huge surgery, after chemo, radiation, we thought, amazing. I mean, it was literally like this miracle. Um, we always referred to him as our unicorn because everybody was like, that just doesn't happen. Right, right. <laughs> so that happens. And then um, in June of 21, we find out he was having horrible migraine headaches and this, that, and the other. Well, come to find out he had two tumors in his brain and it was scheduled for surgery at the beginning of July for that ended up slipping and falling and breaking his femur before his surgery had a rod put in his femur, had his brain tumors taken out about three days later, but come to find out, um, it was in his bones and he fought. And then in April of 22, he passed away. So we had about a 19, we had, he was given 18 months and we had 19 months with him. Wow. So, yeah. So, and he was 51. 
Okay. How how would you describe your guys's uh relationship? What was that and what was that whole 19 months like? Just knowing that information and just being by his side the entire time. How yeah, how you- we we were very close. Um we were only two years apart. We also I have another older sister that was only 18 months older than him. So the three of us were very, very close. Um all of us have lived in the same city, blah, blah, blah. So our whole family, he has three girls. I had two kids. My sister has three kids. My parents are still living, all of us living close together. The minute he was diagnosed, I mean, it became a family fight. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, it just became what's everybody gonna do to beat the cancer? You know? Yeah. yeah. So, and then it just became not only the medication side of it, but the mental side of it. Um, right. It became how do we bring love and light and positivity because we learned so much about fighting cancer in that way. Right. Um, then it was about, okay, worst case scenario. What do you do when you're given 18 months to live? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, what memories do you make? What experiences do you do? You yeah, know, I think, I think it'd be an interesting way. We would all live our life. If on that 18 month till death date, we are told all of us and what would we all do and how yeah. would we, how would we behave? I guarantee there'd be a lot of differences on how we'd all behave. hundred percent. So, somehow when you don't know, then you just don't know and then act a particular way. So. Right. Well, it's the country song live, live like you're dying. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. True. yeah. I mean, and he, he did, it, it gave you, a, it gives you a whole new perspective like we're talking about, but as you said, my other chaos that was going on in my life that I thought was the end of my life, end of my world, because I had all this other career chaos going when right. this hits. You know, right, Mark right. Mark would always say, Beth, that's just noise. You know, right. all that's just noise. Right. And he would refer to how all of us live in this blissful ignorance before something big happens. Right, you know? right, right. And then you get diagnosed and whew, your world, your perspective, everything changes. We'll come back to Mark. Um Unfortunately, Mark's not the only story here. So tell tell everybody who Neil is and 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 a little bit about that situation. Okay, so Neil is my husband, that um, my late husband. Um, we met in two thousand five, got married in two thousand six. Did the whole blended family thing. I had two kids. He had four kids. We were the Brady Bunch, whole bunch of step stuff, <laughs> whole another whole another uh, show for you. Um, <laughs> but. Had very quick dating, got married quickly, and um, just amazing. And um, so he was supporting me through career chaos, cancer chaos, <laughs> um, support, supporting me through all that. Um, and in August of um, 22, 21, oh my God, August of 21, sorry, my years, <laughs> all the day, all the things. Um, August of 21, we had decided due to my career stuff, um, we had decided to take a weekend to the lake of the Ozarks with some dear friends of ours that have a lake house down there and went with another couple of friends of ours and had a weekend of just kind of trying to get away from cancer, trying to get away from career, trying to get away from the drama. Just take a minute. Um, I was having a really hard time about school stuff and this, that, and the other. So he's like, let's just get away. So go to the lake, spend the weekend there, um, wake up Sunday morning, the other couple that was there with us, go ahead, start their drive home. And Neil wakes me up and he's like, can't we just stay here for one more day? He's like, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. You don't have to lesson plan. You don't have to 
Can right. we just stay and have Sunday fun day? Right, right. And I'm like, sure, you know, thanks for the reminder that I'm not going back to work tomorrow. <laughs> but <laughs> thanks, babe. Um, so yeah. And so we decide to stay for the day. And so our friends that own the house, we honestly we had an amazing day. Um, Neil described it as his best day ever. We're on the jet skis, we're going around, we got to dance to live music, all the things. And when we came back to the house, the owner was like, let's hop in the um, ATV. They had a razor, a Polaris razor, and let's run and get some dinner. And we're like, sure, let's do it. So we go to get dinner and I, Neil and I go to the bar and we're chatting with people from Kansas city. Cause we're at Lake of the Ozarks right. and just kind of doing our thing. And, um, I got a pizza to go taking it home. So we get in and we're driving back home. And as we're coming home, we're literally close to their house and, and they had just moved prior to this. So I wasn't as familiar with where we are and right. stuff. So we're coming around a corner, the driver who was our best friend, um, ends up starts screwing around being dumb and his wife tells him to cut it out and he does it again. Starts kind of zigzagging and we flip in the ATV, slide down a hill, hit a tree and long story short, it killed my husband. So I'm on the side of the road with him. The driver's life flighted. They're working on him in the ambulance. And I mean, I could go into detail about all that. But anyway, they told me that they couldn't do anything. I mean, I had given them mouth to mouth. I had done everything that I could and they could not bring him back. So he ended up passing away on 8-8-21, also at age 51. Wow. And I was 27. Yeah. So when you talk about Three years of hell. It, it, that's probably even still an understatement, honestly. Yes. Um, I'm going to briefly bring kind of a quick story of myself in here. Those of you that have listened to the podcast, you've probably heard this come up here again. And and just a reminder, like the full details of some of the things Beth's talking about is on her podcast, um, as well as her insanely crazy story in education that we're going to deal with another day. Um. So bereavement's a big deal. It's an issue that we deal with in death. Um, as some of you know, my I'm the oldest of five, and my mom passed away, kind of a doctor's mistake when I was 16. So having kind of lived through it as a child, Beth as a, a wife, also as a sister, um, dealing with these things as a full adult, me as a younger person, and but still it has impacts on me today as I am. I'm almost scared to say 51 right now. So let's go into this, Beth. What, so you, it's 2024. Um, these things don't just go away ever, honestly. And you and I have talked about this numerous times. What, what, how do you, how does recovery look to you? What does grief recovery look to you? There's people that are watching this that have had their own stories and their own situations, and their struggles. What what is what has that been like for you? How have you kind of walked that out in your own world? Yeah, well, um, I will say it varies. Um, as we've talked about, 
with the way you enter the death world, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was immediate. Neil was first on 88 of 21 and it was immediate, unexpected, like with your mom. Um, so that has its own trauma recovery for sure. Right. And being there, seeing right. it, right. I had my right. own PTSD trauma recovery, all that. And so I knew I needed immediate help. I think that's a big thing that a lot of people miss out on. They don't say I need to get help. Instead, it's kind of, oh, I can do this on my own or, you know, I'm going to lay in bed and I'm going to do whatever. But um, I knew I needed help immediately. So I knew my grief recovery meant reaching out to friends, reaching out to family. I went to a grief recovery counselor and did a six-week grief recovery program. I went to um, this Saraset brain recovery treatment for PTSD and everything. And so with Neil, it was getting the help right, and dealing with the immediate emergencies of it. What, um, what, what were those immediate emergencies? Well, I mean, you come home, I mean, even just walking in the house, you know, making sure that I had family here that was going to pick me up when I walk in this house that is now my house as a widow. Right. It was telling my daughter immediately to take me to church. You know, I had to go to church. That was my thing. The day after I got home from the lake, I told my daughter, take me to church. And I had to sit and just take a minute and figure out where my faith was. For me, I, I leaned in on my faith. A lot of people push it away because they're like, how can God let this happen to me? Right, right. Um, and then it was things like letting people help you. That was a big thing for me. Just I would sit as I'm still recovering, not only mentally, but I was recovering physically from being in Iraq, you know, with my concussion, with sure. my injuries. So it was allowing people to do the meal train, to be there and take you to the dock. I couldn't drive. I just mentally couldn't be in a vehicle by myself. So I had people drive me. So those immediate things that you're like food, who's going to take care of the family, who's going to, you know, things like that. Right. But it's also, how are you going to sleep? Like for me, it was, how do I go to bed without my husband? How do I? And so I literally had my mom or my son or my daughter sleep with me every night. Right. I mean, that went on for six, eight months. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Those things. And then it was, how do I get my brain to not be in constant fight or flight? Um, cause I talked to a doctor and he's like, he, he did his brain thing on me and he's like, you are in fight or flight 90% of your day and you can't live that way. Yeah. So retraining your brain to that thing, those things. And then I'm a big researcher. I know you're a big (laughs) read about things. Right. Right. So gathering of books and help, you know, getting help from people who've been through it. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, so yeah. It's interesting listening to, to your journey. And I don't know if mine was different because I was 16, 17 years old, but I was literally just isolate. I Mm -hmm. was, I didn't know who to talk to, what I'm supposed to talk about, what I'm supposed to feel, what's supposed to go on. So I just had to try to kind of figure things out myself. And I think that my conclusion that I literally came to my head, like still like right off afterwards is that I wanted to be in a place where, because people would say, 
well, you know, time's going to heal. You're going to get over it and all those things. And, and, and there's, Mm -hmm. there could be some truth, I guess, to that. I don't know, but my mentality was, no, I'm never going to get over it. I have zero desire to get over it. If I, I don't even know what getting over it means. I'm sure there's actually a healthy purpose of that. But for me, it was a meaningful enough event to where it wasn't something I wanted to recover from. It wasn't that I didn't need a bandaid anymore because the wound was gone. It was that this was something that I am always going to allow the impact that she had on me to always continue. I was never going to step away from that. Um, now I, I didn't know if that meant that I would like be a mat. I I don't, I didn't really know what that meant at that time, but that was my thing that nobody was going to change my mind about. And right. so for me, and we'll, and we'll, why you started your podcast, honestly, and, and even us talking today for me, it's like, okay, well, there's a job I have to continue. I ended up taking, I have a, a literal job that I have to do out of respect for her life. Right. Um, which I can't wait to talk about your school situation and the impact that, um, you know, Most Neil dead. and Mark both had on that. Cause that's, yeah. that's all a part of this that we'll get to. Well, it's uh, interesting in what you're saying too, about not recovering from it. I mean, one of the books that I read that I've actually got right here, it talked about that you don't recover from grief, you reconcile your grief. Right. So it's not something that it hits us and we fix it and we move on. Right. It hits us and we kind of learn to live with it. And it's now a piece of our world. Yeah. I lo- I so we reconcile living in with grief. Right. So my reconcile is choosing to live a particular way or choosing yeah. to continue aspects of her legacy and, and doing that. I, I do feel good about it. Like, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I think if I wasn't doing these things, uh, I don't know with my personality, then I would have more struggles, but reconcile is a great word. I I like that. That's good. Yeah. I never, I never heard well, it's before. interesting too. Like what you were saying, how it attacked you and you just wanted to kind of, you know, isolate. And I was like, I always needed people around. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I hate being, I still hate being alone. Um, <laughs> but then when Mars, Mark's death hit, I was still, it was eight months after Neil. Mm. I was still in such shock and yeah. such like that literally, I mean, I watched, I watched both of them die. I watched Neil's last breath and then I watched Mark's last breath. And I, I'm so pissed to this day because I was still in such shock that I I didn't even get to really take in Mark's death, I think in the appropriate way. Like I sat through his celebration of life and I spoke in his celebration of life, but I was still kind of in that robot mode. You know, I was just kind of going through the motions because it was still so fresh of Neil. So I think I'm still today reconciling yeah. Mark, you right. know? Yeah. So when you say the word that you're pissed and and even sometimes using the word anger when it comes to this, how, how did those, how do, how do those emotions impact have they impacted you because you've used them a couple of times and just kind of just like, what does that feel like? What does that look like for you thinking about being pissed and just angry at the situation? I think everybody, at least not ever, everything I've read and any other widows I've talked to or anybody else surviving this, you all seem to go through this part of anger and you can, you're mad at, you're mad at God (laughs) for taking them. You're mad at the people that caused it. Like for me and Neil, it was our best friends. And I've talked to you a little bit about, I mean, we had to go to court. We, it was a 
two and a half year process where I had to figure out what I wanted to happen to my best friend who drank and drove and ended up killing my husband, who was his best friend. So he didn't mean to do it. Right. An accident. Right. But you were drinking and driving. Um, so you have that anger. And where do you place that? Um, I, I, to this day, still have the anger of why did I waste time with my husband And you do, you don't know you're wasting time because you never expect them to be gone at age 51. I mean, like you and your mom, you, you didn't, right. You didn't know that you should have maybe spent another dinner night with her. What what does waste time mean for you and Neil? What is that? So for me, I think back on the times that maybe he wanted us to go, go out to dinner or go do a happy hour. And I'm like, no, I'm tired or no, I don't want to eat because I'm trying to lose weight or no, I'm you know, right, it, right. it's like, why didn't I just go do that? Just yeah, go make yeah. the memories. Right, right. Or even a lot of people, I mean, I was in this place too. I'm not ashamed to admit we live paycheck to paycheck. Right. So let's go on a trip. Well, let's wait till the kids are out of school. Let's wait right. till we have more money in the bank. Right. You can't. I mean, praise Jesus. Neil and I made tons of memories. We traveled, we did the things, but we didn't do everything we wanted to do. Right. You know? And so you're mad at that. You're mad at yourself. And then a lot of people have survivor's guilt and anger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're mad at, well, why did the ATV turn that way that the tree hit his head and not mine? Or the tree hit his head and not the driver who right. it was his fault. Not, a, not that I'm wishing death on anybody, but you know, you get mad about all those things. And then with Mark, of all the people, in the universe, this amazing human, he's the one you choose to give cancer to. And then that's a whole nother conversation. Does God give you cancer? You know, it's a biological mishap, but you're mad at all those things. A a story that's well known across Kansas city here in the last couple of months kind of reminded me uh, a good friend of mine who I used to teach with named Aaron Davidson was driving Mm. his son from soccer. And, um, you know, um, I think this was actually a, drunk driver too i'm drawing a blank on yeah and uh you know and just some of the things that he had said about like the way i had to maneuver my car to avoid this collision then ultimately led for the car to hit my son and my son had no bodily injuries except for the injuries to his head which took his life and then and so then that's another issue with death and he's obviously fresh and his whole family going through this but just you know how we process these people when they leave and i i follow him on facebook and and he's just i can see what he's doing it's like well my you know you want he's going to be the family it's going to be a long journey but i can he his son's life has to mean something and it, it is pretty cool that some of the things and how impact full his son's life has meant and what that happens. And it's just sad. It is. Um, yeah. um, let, let me ask you this. So you, um, um, the, the things that are inside us, the, the pain, the anger, the sadness, all of those things, I've heard of that kind of been described as kind of like, a like a, a caged animal inside of us, this, this feeling of these emotions, what, what, how would you describe, how would you describe that kind of all of that that's inside of us when we go through death? Yeah. Um, it's, 
I, same thing. Um, I heard of it in this book actually, as your grief is a cage animal, it's pacing back and forth. You know, it's this animal pacing back and forth on this cage, getting more and more angry and just needing to just be let out for a little bit or whatever, you know, and that's, and I've also heard it described as like an ocean, you know, the waves peak and then they kind of go back. And so your anger, your grief, all of it, be it the animal or be it the ocean, it is something that's going to be there that you have to acknowledge. That's the thing. You can't just constantly push it away, push it away, push it away because it's getting more and more angry. Those waves are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and it's never going to subside. Right. Um, So I now know when it's coming. And I think a lot of people going through this can feel it coming and what's inter- what's been very interesting to me that I didn't realize probably the first six, eight, 12 months even is that your body recognizes it before your brain. Like, for instance, my body knows when a death anniversary, anniversary of their death or an anniversary or a birthday, my body knows that really before my brain thinks about it. So I know I get anxious. I get upset. I get moody. I get kind of in a little dark place. And then I sit there and go, okay, what's coming up? Right. And then I look at the calendar and I'm like, okay, our wedding anniversary is coming up. My body is telling me to take a minute, yeah. you know, and that may be take a minute where we do something special to commemorate it as a family, or I go to church and I take a minute and just sob, yeah, <laughs> I right, just right. yell and cry at God or talk to God, or it's me being alone. I mean, again, I'm not a lone person. You might want to do those things alone. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I... I haven't figured out myself yet, but yeah. But you got to let it out. You know, you've got to open the cage. You got to let the animal run for It's like your dog. You got to go let it run outside for a while, get out its energy, get out what it needs to get out in you. And then it'll calm down again, you know, and that takes a while to happen. (laughs) So when you made a decision, because on your, and again, I'm going to encourage everybody to, to check out your podcast and we'll include the link um, in the bio. Are you, so why, why tell the world about this? Why tell people about, you know, Mark Neal, death, the effect, like what, what was inside of you to want to do that ultimately? My biggest thing that helped me was finding widows. I found three widows that were about my age okay. that had gone through a similar experience. Oh, wow. Um, An immediate death, unexpected young husbands and talking to them made me feel like, okay, I'm not alone. I, other people experience this. I had gone to grief groups, meeting groups. And my experience was that I was 20 to 30 years younger than everybody in there because God bless them. They had had long lives with their husbands at age 80, which is also terrible. Everybody's grief is bad, but it's a very different experience than an immediate, what I call a young widow. Right. But so me finding those people and talking to them and sharing with them just took some of it off my heart. Yeah. So I decided, well, I need to put my stories out there and be it cancer or be it immediate death. Let someone know that I got you, that I understand that, right. that you can talk about it, that you're not crazy. You know, there are all these different stages and phases of grief. And one of them is that you're not crazy, <laughs> you yeah. know, that, and so it's, 
my podcast and everything is the important thing is letting people know you're not alone, that, that yeah. other people have gone through this and you're going to come out on the other side. Right. I'm not sure what that looks like for everybody, yeah. but there is another side. How, how did you find those three widows who had had a similar situation than you? I actually found them here in Kansas city in a, I think it's called Casey widows club. I can't remember what it's called, but it was for a younger group. Well, I shouldn't say a younger group. But it kind of is. Yeah, it's um, fine. Yeah. And it I actually found them through a friend of mine that I taught with that was my best friend, um, who married another dear friend of mine at the same school. Yeah. Um, he ended up passing away young right. of cancer. So she became a widow even younger than me. She gotcha. came a, became a widow in like her 30s. She found this group. So then when my husband passed away, not five years later. So two best friends, both losing their husbands at a young age. She said, you've got to go to this group. Right. And at this group, we actually had to put our husband's death days on a placard in front of us. And so I kind of looked around. I noticed that theirs was recent, all the same date and that they were young. And so I kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah. zoomed in. I kind of stalked them. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah, I, uh, and I think thinking to the, the, the youth of it, we had another, uh, close friend of mine, a, a husband just died in a, in a, in a different story. Whenever I think about somebody dying in their forties, somebody dying in their fifties, say in that age, it's like, well, there's, there's 30 more years of things you were supposed to do. And mm -hmm. ultimately nobody knew that this was about to happen to you and how we behave, how we act different, um, knowing that. And I, I think that that is the ultimate challenge for me and the people I love and care about and in my life and what I decided to do with my life is, you know, I just got to, I'm just, I got to go balls to the wall and everything that I do. You just don't know when it's going to be done or over or, yeah. and, and it, it can, it doesn't tell you like there's no yeah. rules. And so, well, I got a question for you. What oh would you, would, so I know, right. I'm turning on you. What <laughs> if, what if you had found another 17 year old, that had been through the same thing. Do you think that would have helped you not isolate? Uh, I, I think, I think if I, I think I isolated out of just not even like knowing what to do. I didn't know who to talk to. So okay. I don't know if it was a, for sure a choice on the isolation, honestly, and this will sound kind of uh you find another 17 year old be probably better if it was a female because it was way easier to talk to females than guys. I'm trying to think of some of my guy friends, which I had some actually really good guy friends that were super, super kind and super helpful, but 17 year old boys don't know how to like, I don't know. That would be interesting. What that conversation, how are you feeling, buddy? Sucks. <laughs> I know. Let's have a beer. <laughs> like, I don't, I'll say, hey, you're I 17. Know. You can't have a beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's that too. So, uh, <laughs> but I think, I think, you know, females tend to be easier for guys mm -hmm. to talk to. And so yeah. I would, yeah. So my request would be in a female and I did have a female friend actually at that time who was super helpful and kind. And, um, I did have some conversations with her for sure. Um, mm -hmm. and then my guy friends are just like, come over, let's hang out. Yeah. Okay, let's go jump on a trampoline. Yeah. So sorry about what happened. I know it sucks. That was, that, that's well, and a lot of 17 year olds, <laughs> that's what they want to hear. They don't want to talk about it. Right. I mean, you know, so there yeah. is that. I, I just know in all of in all of my grief recovery stuff, a big piece is finding your your support system, be it right. one person or be a group, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've told you about 
I mean, I have this one couple, well, the, the friends that were with us down at the lake that weekend, that every week, I mean, probably a month after Neil died, because the first few weeks I wasn't going out of the house really. But right. after that, every week, she would text me and say, what day are we taking out you, di- you out to dinner? You're going out of the house, you're going out to dinner. Right. Every week. And one, can I cuss on this podcast? Can you I say can. Yeah, no, okay. it's, legal. it's legal. It's legal, okay. I promise. Um, but, <laughs> you know, a few months, three, four, five months into this, I said, you guys, you don't have to do this. Like, I don't need to be a third wheel and blah, blah, blah. And her husband's like, you're not our third wheel. You're our bonus bitch. And so it became, I'm I'm still their bonus bitch three years later. And then when Mark died, his widow, my sister-in-law, became another bonus bitch that they would take to dinner. And his three daughters became his bitchlets. And we still, to this day, once a month, these people provide a bitch's dinner. And that is... I mean, that's what you need. You need people in your life. Right. They're going to just say, we're doing this. Right. You know, even if you say, I don't want to go out or I don't want to go to dinner. I, I don't want, I don't want to be around people. They're like, yeah, well, we're still coming. Yeah. And we're still going to sit with you. Right. And that's what we're going to do. I think that the, that's the common theme of everything that you've said. And even some of the stuff you'll say in the future is that you have an amazing network. I do. You, I mean, that you really do. And my siblings have been great. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, conversations or whatever in my, um, so there's been people, it's just been, uh, yeah, I guess all these, all these, I remember somebody said to me, I was 16, 17. He's like, man, I, he thought I was going to be crying. It was like a week Mm -hmm. after. And I'm like telling him what happened or whatever. And he's like, almost not judging, but just, I was like, dude, I don't, I can't just do that on the whim. It's not how it always works. I mean, sometimes you're just matter of fact, sometimes you're emotional. I mean, there's, it just, it all hits you different ways at different times. Yeah. And, and, and I think that my, my advice for people that are, that have, are trying to help someone who has going through this is dude, don't, don't tippy toe around it. It's mm-hmm. okay to say, Hey, what's going like be, be a little bit aggressive. Like, tell me how you're doing, what you're feeling. Like, don't, don't be nervous and scared that you're going to be offensive, bring stuff up. And right. and then, but then as they're comfortable, they may or may not want to talk to you, but, but don't be afraid to just keep it an elephant in the room, just expose right. it a little bit. And that, that's probably what they want. Nobody knows how to initiate it sometimes, you know? Well, and I'd also say to tell people too, that it's okay to sit in silence. Yeah. I mean, I, to this day, I'll get emotional. (laughs) Uh, This day I'll text my mom and be like, I just need to come over. Right. Right. And she just lets me lay in the recliner. Right. And and my dad will just grab my hand and it'll be okay to sit in silence. You know, I don't know why I can sit here and tell you how my husband died, but then I cry at that. (laughs) (laughs) See, just like you said, there's there's no rhyme or reason how things. Yeah. But that's okay too. You know, sometimes that's what we need. We don't, we don't want to talk about it, but we don't want to be alone. Right. You know, and that's, that's needed too. Yeah. Well, one of the, on a, on a different note, one of the things I thought was really cool about your story and then we're going to kind of get into the parenting advice and the song, which we have that today as well. I, I just think it's super cool that you and your son have season tickets to the Chiefs. And mm-hmm. I think that's cool because, you know, probably in a different life, it would have been you and Neil, you know, or, you know, that's mm-hmm. usually like what you and your spouse, because, are, you know, your son's older, he's a he's an adult, he's living his life and doing all the things that grown men do. But yeah. um, I, I think that 
I think that's an amazing kind of testament to you and your relationship with him. And, uh, you know, as a dad myself, you know, once our kids become adults, like we'll take whatever time we can get. And sometimes yeah. we get, sometimes we get plenty and sometimes we don't get enough. So, yeah. um, how, how has that been this last year going to the chiefs games and doing all those things? Well, it doesn't hurt that we're so good. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. No. Well, I mean, I have to say, I mean, kind of with the support thing too, I've got two grown kids, my daughter nurse, and my son is here with me, but the minute all this happened, like with Neil, daughter flew home from DC, son moved in with me, dropped his world, moved in with me. Wow. wow He's like, and I, I mean, I'm laying in the emergency room crying and like, how do I do this alone? He's like, you're not, I'm moving in tomorrow, period. And wow. has been here ever since. Daughter came home, like with Mark, flew home as she's a nurse and literally did his medication to his death, his last bath, his, she listened to his last heartbeat. She escorted him out of the, out of this world. So the, I mean, I have amazing children Yeah, no, <laughs> and that's... one is now married and the other one's getting married and they're marrying amazing people. But yeah. so anyway, when this came up about chiefs and my son, total chiefs fan always has been. Right. And it was one of those things that was just like, let's do this. Let's do this together. And let's, you know, it's something that Neil and I, Honestly, here we go again. We wouldn't have done it because we'd be like, oh, that money could be spent elsewhere. Oh, let's uh, save them. Right. But now I'm not like that. Now I'm like, it's about experiences. Right. And it is something we went to every home game except for that bitterly cold one. He right. went. Right. Um, <laughs> but and I have a tent that we tailgate with, and whomever we bring with us signs the tent because we're making oh, memories. I love so that. you know, and we'll take it to the Kenny Chesney concert. We'll take it, but it's all about that and just having that time with him and those memories, it, that's what's going to matter. You know, right. at the end of the day, I mean, I think I've talked to you about this before. At the end of the day, it's not going to matter how popular you are, how fat you are, how skinny you are, how much money you have in the bank. It's what, what memories did you make? Yeah, no, I agree. I love and, that. Yeah. And, and as you said, they grow up and you, you, you just yearn for those moments. Yeah. With them. Oh Yeah. You know, so it's amazing. And it helps that Chiefs are amazing. <laughs> well, I think the next moment that we're all going to witness here in a couple of days are the Ravens losing to the Chiefs. But uh, <laughs> tomorrow it is tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Right. This will come out later, but uh, we'll see if I'm eating my words or not. But we're going to we're going to hope for the best for yeah. all the Taylor Swift fans and Kelsey fans and all the craziness that's all around the Chiefs these days. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go to kind of a parenting advice today. When I was thinking about parenting advice and how parents kind of process whether they've had a death or not, it's ultimately how we're impacting our kids to live, what type of life, what really matters, what's important. And these things have to be ingrained early, whether we connect it to a death or we don't. And, you know, people have heard me kind of rail against say video games, for instance, like there's nothing wrong with video games, but your, your kid is playing 10 hours a day of video games. Is there something better for their life than that? Is there something more impactful? Um, I talked to somebody else recently whose kid kind of isolates themselves in the room quite a bit and doesn't do much. I'm like, take them to dinner, 30 minutes, like get them out. Like all these time elements matter. And so I think it's just continuing to ask ourselves personally and our kids personally, how are we going to choose to live our life? Um, I picked a uh, a song today that I have, 
I'm sure I know you have songs that are meaningful to you, especially when it comes to our loved ones, as do I, especially songs that were written like specifically for death. Like I, my very second podcast episode I did, which is not on YouTube, it's on Apple was all about my mom. So I, uh, and even why I'm doing all of this. Um, but I tried to find a different song today that had the lyrics actually were not meant for death, but I think they, uh, they're equally powerful. So it's an Ed Sheeran song. It's called welcome to the world, which is a great song. And I'm just going to read a couple of lines and, and look at how we kind of think about this. Um, I know that everything's changing. I don't want to miss a thing. Life won't ever be the same. This love won't go away. This was not a song that was written for the reasons we're talking about, but everything does change. Death changes everything. There is no going back to those moments. We are, we are, we are changed as people and we don't have those people walking with us, which goes to like, you know, my biggest tough thing dealing with my mom is never having to have an adult conversation. Like that's not going to happen. There's nothing to do it. It doesn't matter if she's watching me or not. It's just something that can't happen. Uh, I don't want to miss a thing. So that's now that's what the people who is who are around us, you know, how long my dad's going to be alive, how long your parents are, all of these things. I'm not going to miss something now that I will regret later on. Um, life won't ever be the same. We know. And then the, ultimately, the, ultimately in everything we're talking about your love for Mark, your love for Neil, my mom, and, and all the people out there that have that understand what we're talking about today um, the love's not going anywhere. And so you, so you live out that love and express it in different ways, ultimately with how you decide to live your life. So anyway, um, this was a good one, longer one too. It's exciting. Uh, <laughs> I talk a lot. Ah, you know, it was, it was, it was a topic worth talking about. Um, definitely ask people, um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I think we're close to 500 subscribers now it's getting there. And, um, so feel free to, to look at the reels on TikTok, comment, share it. Um, I know there's going to be some of, uh, uh, your family and friends that are going to see that. So excited to hear and see their reactions because you are amazing and have done doing amazing things in remembrance of Mark and Neil. So I love that. Appreciate that. And, uh, this was the emotional, like, deep breath. Maybe I need a drink after episode. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is going to be laced with controversy and craziness. And it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different feel. It'll be interesting. Those of you that watch this in kind of, in a, um, in a kind of like a chronological order, how everything that was going on with Mark and Neil now just throwing a big old pile of, you know, what in the middle of it and dealing um... with that as well. So <laughs> we'll come back to that uh soon but thank you everybody for tuning in loved having you today beth it's been amazing and we will uh thank you yeah we'll talk soon okay bye bye thank you so much for listening let's keep the conversation going you can reach out on ben's website www.benkeatshow.com or on social media to chat and please remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode 